All right, everybody. I found an amazing new product. It's called Magic Mind. Here's why I love Magic Mind. I have always been a coffee drinker, but what's happened over, over the years is I've had to go off coffee because it makes me feel like crap. And I always end up switching to tea for a while to kind of compensate that caffeine withdrawal, right? Like you can't just go off coffee and not have any caffeine. I, at least I couldn't. So what I have found is matcha has been the tea that has helped me almost get that same benefit of coffee. Now, the reason I love Magic Mind is because it's got a few key ingredients. It's got matcha. It's got adaptogens, which help you feel relaxed. You know how sometimes you get that caffeine rush? It kind of brings you anxiety. Not with this. The adaptogens like the ashwagandha help keep you calm. And the nootropics that are in here, which I have used so many different kinds, they help you stay more focused. They help you get more clarity, help you find the words that you need, especially for the podcast interviews like this. I always want to have the most clarity and focus possible. And then, of course, vitamin C, vitamin D, and echinacea for immunity, which is such a great formula. So matcha, adaptogens, nootropics, and immunity all in one little two-ounce bottle. I took this right before I recorded this, and I already feel the benefits. The reason I like it is because I can get that nice clarity that I get with coffee, but without the crash. That's really the best part of this, is that I want to figure out how do I get the most clarity, how can I get the most energy possible without that feeling of the decline that you get with certain caffeines, especially coffee. Now, I want to mention, I also took this with coffee. And what it did is it actually eliminated that crash. So I had that initial buzz from the coffee that you get, you know, that real skyrocket buzz that we all love, but I didn't get the crash. So Magic Mind is great because you can take it with coffee, which will eliminate that, the, the decline that you get. It'll keep you on an even keel. Or if you're like me, you're trying to weed off coffee and you want to substitute, this really helps. And it's not just having tea. You get the nootropics and adaptogens and an immunity, and an immunity booster while doing it. So who doesn't want that, right? So you guys, these, this company is great. And I'm really happy to share this with you guys. And there's a really awesome offer that you guys got to act on now. Make sure to enter the code UAP20 and go to magicmind.co slash UAP. That's M A G I C M I N D dot C O slash UAP. Discount code UAP20. 56% off your first subscription in the next 10 days or 20% off your first time purchase. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to University of Adversity. We have a great show for you today. We have Humble, the poet, joining us today. He is an author, hip-hop artist, designer, filmmaker, and creative consultant. And he's got a brand new book out called 
How to Be Loved, The Simple Truths for Going Easier on Yourself, Embracing Imperfection, and Loving Your Way to a Better Life. This book is amazing. I listened to it on audio while I was in Sedona, while I was riding my bikes, having coffee uh, in the sun. It was amazing. And it was such a good reminder because a lot of the stuff he talks about is stuff we talk about on the show. So when he was, and it was great to hear his perspective on so many different things. And we cover those in this episode. We, we go deep. We talk about a few different areas. We unpack his book. We talk about life. We talk about some of his past journeys and uh, it's a great episode. I loved it. Make sure you follow him on social media. He's got great content and very smart, entertaining dude. If you're new to the show or you're a regular listener and you're not subscribed yet, make sure you do so wherever you're listening to this. And if you feel called to do so, it's appreciated if you leave a five-star review, a written review on Apple or a five-star review on Spotify or wherever you could leave a review. Here we go. Humble the poet. Welcome to University of Adversity, my man. Good to have you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I really love your work. I've discovered you a few years back through Aubrey Marcus, and I was part of his mastermind for a couple of years. And um, I really have been sort of watching your growth and you know the content you put out. It's really important. And it's really important. I feel like it's what we really need in our lives right now. And your concept of your new book and everything about it is how to be loved is, or how to be loved and then be loved. Yeah. So I, I love that. And it's just so important because I feel like people don't even know what that means. Mm. And before we get into talking about the book itself, I wanted to talk to you about the process first of writing your book and maybe like what was your biggest takeaway or one of your biggest lessons that you found at the end of that, because it's a fucking process mm. and putting it together and it being out there, it's almost like a journey of its own. Yep. So sp speak to us about that first, man. So you, you mean like straight, just logistics, being an author, writing a book, not specifically about this topic. Just, just in general. Yeah. Or even like what this book did for you, like what was that? that growth lesson that you kind of walked away with. Yeah, completely. I think, you know, the first book I ever published was I published independently and, you know, I put it together myself. I designed it myself. I built it myself. Uh, you know, had a friend proofread it, not understanding there's levels to editing and, you know, put it out into the world on Amazon independently. And, you know, it, it took five years for people to start noticing four years for people to start noticing. And then, uh, uh, a few years later, I got picked up by the majors and it went through the major system and, you know, got available at all the bookstores and all of that. And in that journey, it was uh, lightly edited, very lightly edited. Um, but the versions of it that are still out now still have spelling mistakes in it. And um, but it did really well. So the first thing I learned is it's not a big deal. It doesn't got to be perfect. That was what I learned from that first book. Um and then, you know, they republished that first book and then they, they signed me for a second book. And then now this was, you know, professional editors at HarperCollins, you know, one of the biggest publishers in the world saying, okay, you're a raw talent. You got great. You write really well. Um, we're going to take you to professional level. And that was, 
I don't want to say a master class because what it felt like was being back in grade 10 English mm. and uh, having an editor who was really focusing on, look, let's, let's plan your ideas before you put them out. So no more free writing, no more just vomiting it out. Let's let, let's create a structure. What are you trying to say? How are you trying to say it? How will you support those ideas? Um, and and they held my hand through the process. And it was, uh, you know, the outline for my second book was 30 pages, mm. you know, and uh, that, that in itself was a daunting task in the document. But because there was structure and they were holding my hand, it got done and it made writing the book a much smoother task. But because of my first time with a, a, a publisher, I kind of, um, I gave them the reins. I kind of said, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. You guys clearly know what you're doing. Just tell me what to do. And we, we created a book that I'm extremely proud of, but it was the way they, they envisioned it. They envisioned the book a certain way. And we did that book that way. For the third book, what I did was I took what I knew and I took what they knew and I put it together and did it my way. So um, I use formats and language and styles and energies that, that are authentic to me, but I use their form of planning, organizing and structuring um, because it works. You know, our, our, our English teachers weren't lying when they said, you know, plan, plan your hamburger method with your buns and your meats and your, and, and your, and your toppings. Uh, when you plan out your essay and your thesis and all of that, <laughs> I use that. And this time I, I, I wasn't with a publisher originally. Um, I started writing without a publisher. So I was, I was going to do it in reverse, finish the book, then go out and shop for a deal. So using their methods of organization and structuring and planning, um, I wrote myself maybe a 50 page outline. And then I, I went on the task of writing the book. So what ended up working well for me was that's when the pandemic hit. So it gave me purpose. It gave me direction. And uh, I had a 30 page, 40 page document telling me what to do every day that I had created. So like, oh, what are we going to write about today? Oh, right. According to this page, this is what we're going to write about today. So I developed a really cool system where, you know, I took an idea, let's say, you know, the book has a chapter, don't fall in love with potential. So the night before I would have these giant sticky notes. Uh, here's a, here's an example of a smaller sticky note, but I had one, one's bigger than this. Okay. And I had these giant sticky notes and then I would write, okay, don't fall in love with potential. I look at the the outline and then I would start, you know, doing additional research and creating just key points. And then I would just have an entire chapter written in just bullet points, mm. stick that up in front of my computer and then go to bed. And then as soon as my alarm hit in the morning, wake up before I did anything, went straight to the computer and boom, 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 boom let it all out. And vomited out based off my feelings, but also there wasn't going to be writer's block because there were points. You know, if you're going to fall in love with potential, let it be your own. To fall in love with potential means you're not loving what's in front of you, denying a person who they are. Um, the only person that can change, that could unlock a person's potential is themselves. So I had all these points and then, you know, have little notes that being like, include a personal story, you know, include a little bit of comedy and do all of this. So that be, kind of became my pandemic routine. You know, so at night, you know, when my brain wasn't its most optimal, so when the planning happened, um, and in the morning when I was completely fresh, you know, hadn't even looked at my phone yet, and it was like, 
get get that chapter up before you do your uh, look at your phone because we know once we look at our phone the day shot yeah so originally i I started with a plan to do a thousand words a day and then that changed because a thousand words were taking between an hour and an hour and a half then it changed to just one hour uninterrupted writing so whether you got five pages on the on the page or five thousand it didn't matter as long as there was one hour of no interruptions mm. so um and i found that to be much more useful um because you just need to get yourself into a zone and getting yourself into a zone is just creating that environment mm. and um having the sticky note there with all the points that is just was the antidote to writer's block so i wouldn't just be sitting there like mm, what, what am i writing about today and then having the outline was my plan so it was a combination the structure served as kind of the string to my kite uh, you know and then once the structure was there i was able to be as free as i wanted within the confines of that structure which is important because if you're too free you know it's like learning how to swim yeah um you know swimming in a bathtub you're not gonna it's too confining swimming in the ocean is too overwhelming you want to swim in a pool mm-hmm. you know you want to be able to see the walls and reach the walls if it gets dangerous so for me, that process of planning and, 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 and structuring the book before I even started writing a page was super, super, super important. And it's interesting because I'm doing this name now. I'm, in, I'm, I'm working in TV and film. And, you know, first thing I did was write a script. And now when we're in the pitching phase, you have to write, it's called a Bible. And the Bible is just the structure. It's creating the structure of who are your characters? What are your themes? Where is this going to go? Give examples of your episodes. All of that should have probably probably have been done before I wrote the script, mm. you know. And it all and it also forces you to answer questions that you haven't addressed yet. So I think for me, the structure um, really helps. So you know, when I work on another book, you know, I'll work on that that the outline first, and that by default asks you all the difficult questions, which is like, what what you know, what is the big idea I'm trying to say here? Yeah. Okay. And then what are the three, four, five main ways I can show that? Okay. So those are my sections of the book. So this book is about love. What is my idea? What is my big idea in this book? The big idea in the book is, you know, love is a verb. Love isn't something you find, you know, love isn't something you earn, you know, love is, love is always there Mm. and you are a source of love. So that's my big idea. And then, well, what, how am I going to, where am I going to explore that? I'm going to explore that with love for self love for others and love for everything else. So now I have three separate sections. So now in love for self, how am I going to explore love for self? Well, I'm talking about love as being your own best friend. Love as being your own nurturing parent. Love is accepting your imperfections. You know, so now I'm going through these lists and now I'm naming my chapters. What about love for others? Well, love for others is love is having a good fight. Uh, Love is honoring the person who's in front of you. You know, love is... Uh, communicating how you're difficult to be around, you know? So I'm, I'm finding these points and, and this is all research. Yeah. This is not writing anything. This is getting these headlines. So now I have all of these and then I can, then when I get to, okay, well, love is uh, sharing how you're difficult to be around. Okay. Let's write a, let's write a, let's write a chapter about that. And that's when the bullet points come. So there's a lot more, the structure help, but this time I wrote, I wrote with the structure, um, but my way. And I think when I did the second book, it was it was their structure and their way. They wanted they wanted each chapter to be a certain length. They wanted it to have certain components. And I said, you know, let me make this feel more authentically mine. And I agree, yeah, there should be personal stories, but they don't have to be three page stories. Sometimes the stories could be a paragraph or two. 
you know, and they're just there to, to tap in on a personal level. And then I got to make points. And sometimes I don't have to, you know, overly go and make this sound like a textbook. You know, I can, I can, I can make a point here or there. And if anybody wants to see if the research is sound, they can Google it themselves. Right. Mm. And it's really about just getting people to the ideas and being like, Oh, I never looked at it that way. I never thought about love being a verb. I never thought about the fact that, yeah, I don't have to qualify or be enough or be worthy for love. Okay. Yeah. He's planted these seeds in my head. Now I can go deeper with that myself. Mm. If I had to make them go deeper, that would add twice the length of the book. Yeah. That's what I really appreciated about it is like, it was a real, it was just like an honest communication that I felt like you were speaking at a level that was just so easy to understand and relate to, you know, mm. it was just like those, some of the stories it's like, ah, oh, yeah, fuck. Like you could, you know, you can, I could really resonate with it just as far as like how just the concept of love. It's, it's, what I've been going through recently and, and it's been a real challenge is like, and you probably understand what I mean too. It's like, we don't feel worthy until the next thing mm-hmm. or the next thing, the next mm-hmm. achievement or the next, you know, get the approval or the, yeah. the next thing. And then it's like, we already are that mm. like we've already, we've already that. Yeah. And it's like this like endless thing. It's sometimes, I mean, you just have to bring it back and remember like, man, I'm already there. Like I've already mm. have that. And just having that love for yourself is just such a great starting point and allowing people to think about that. Cause I think some people are confused like, Oh, well, what is self-love and mm-hmm. what does it actually mean? Mm-hmm. Right. And if you were to yeah. break it down, like what actually, what is it actually? It's accepting yourself as you are, you yeah. know, it's embracing all that is imperfect. It's going easy on yourself the same way you I, I, you know, what I realized is, and, and this has only come through doing these interviews, is that the complications around people's understanding of love have nothing to do with their lives and has much to do with their interpretation of romantic relationships. Mm. So now you may have siblings, you may have parents, you may have friends. Um, you have somebody in your life that you authentically love. That person, you can list off all their flaws. None of those flaws disqualify them from your love. You know, you've seen them at their worst, never disqualified them from your love. Because love doesn't require qualification. Mm. You know, they show you where love is. You feel love seeing things for them. Um, you hold a baby in your hand for the first time. You know, it fills you up with love. There's no interaction. There's no transaction. That baby might poop on you, spit up on you. None of that disqualifies it from your love. You have no history. You've not been vulnerable with it. It's not been vulnerable with you. What is it? Love is already there. Love is the default. And what we do is we create all this mess. So then when we think about love for self, we can't, We don't look at it that way. Like I should love myself the way I love my sister. And yeah, she's not perfect. And I know everything about her, but I love her regardless. That's me. I'm not perfect. And I know, I know all my imperfections, but I should love myself regardless. But instead, we look at it through that romantic dating lens, which is, oh, mm. I'm looking for somebody completely perfect, put their best foot forward. I'm going to put my best foot forward. And if I'm not anything short uh, short of flawless, then I'm, I'm not going to qualify for their attention, their affection, a second date, their focus, you know, being important in their life. But that's not love. No, That's a whole bunch of other things. And 
you know, I want I want I want your listeners to think about that because at the end of the day, all that hoopla, all the expensive dinners, all the trips to Paris, all the flowers, the Valentine's Day shit, all of that stuff. At the end of the day, you're really only successful when you're both wearing sweats, watching TV on the couch together. That's how you know you won. That's what you're really looking for. That's what you're actually looking for. You're not looking for a car, a, a date on the red carpet. You know, you're not looking for someone to to take a bunch of you know photos with and do hashtag couples goals. You're looking for someone that you can just be yourself around. You're looking for someone who's gonna, you know, take care of you when you're old and clean up your diapers when you're when you can't take care of yourself anymore. Like that's, you know, it's that it's that deep rooted love. That happens even in these relationships where people, you know, put their best foot forward and look their greatest and wear their proverbial and literal makeup. And I think that's what I'm realizing when people say, how do I love myself? Is love yourself the way you actually like, think about who you actually love and do that for yourself. Advocate for yourself. Stand up for yourself. Show your teeth. Establish your boundaries. Stand up for yourself the way you'd stand up for somebody you love. You know, be intimate with yourself. Self-hating. You can hug yourself. You know, uh, look in the mirror naked and, and and express gratitude instead of criticism for what's in front of you. You know, journal, be more vulnerable with yourself. Go deeper. Keep asking the word why as you write. Why, why, why? Mm. Why am I afraid of this? Why is that a big deal? Why is that so terrifying? Why is that so hurtful? Become more vulnerable with yourself. Dance with yourself. Feel your body. Mm. Pray. Irrespective of your religious beliefs, prayer, prayer will reveal to you what you really want. Mm. You know, when you're at your bedside, hands together, praying to whoever you believe in, what are you asking for? It's not about who you're praying to. It's about what you're asking for when you pray. What are you saying thank you for? Because it's not performative at that point. Because, yeah, we're all grateful for the oxygen we breathe and, 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 and the clean water we get to drink and all of that stuff. But what are we actually grateful for? That's a level of intimacy that we need to explore with ourselves and a level of vulnerability. The only way for you to get to that point with another person where you can sit on the couch and watch Netflix for the evening after a long day is through vulnerability. Mm. You know, it's not through being perfect because to be perfect means there's no vulnerability. And if there's no vulnerability, there's no connection. So realize that that love is already flowing. And all we have to do is just, you know, maintain, establish, and clear away these pathways for it to flow. You know, like think about it as a river. Throw a bunch of stones in the river. It's going to change the flow of the river. You know, throw enough stones, you, you create a dam, and now the river can't flow anymore. Those stones are our past traumas, our insecurities, our limiting beliefs, you know, our, our, our limiting traditions and expectations around love that were given to us by culture, religion, media, mm. you know. We watch Disney movies and that informs us what love needs to be. We watch porn yeah. that influences what, what love needs to be. Watch rom-coms. Crazy. Yeah. And just, we have and this perception of like how things should be. It's not real. And those perceptions are, you know, and realize that like those perceptions serve an agenda for a society that requires us to buy stuff. Yeah. Like this society needs us to constantly be producing and purchasing for it to stay afloat. And, you know, anything that's good for you is going to unplug you from that world. Mm. You know, learning how to sit quietly and listen to your breath, 
you know, is not good for the economy. No, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it, full eating good foods that don't make you hungry every two minutes. Isn't good either. <laughs> isn't good for the economy. You know what I mean? Accepting yeah. yourself as you are and, and wearing only two, two outfits, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's it. Like all of these things, uh, you know, repairing a pair of shoes instead of by rep- replacing them, you know, just all of these things that, you know, at one point was the norm. Mm. And, you know, we we got into this industrialized age and now we have new demands. And it's not about judging those demands. This is about recognizing it. This is what it is, mm. you know. And in a conversation yesterday, you know, uh, speaking with somebody who, who's heavily in the activist world, you know, it was just like evil capitalism, evil capitalism, like calling it evil doesn't change anything. Yeah. View it, view it as the nature, like nobody is arguing that it that it exists we all know it exists you generally the debate is is it good for us or is it bad for us and i would just question and say you know what let's not even let's not even take that route let's not bite from the tree of good and evil and judge it you know let's be curious and when we're curious and let's try to understand it because another force of nature that we we've always been bound to has been gravity and the deeper we created an understanding you know instead of me judging gravity and being like so unfair that i have to like climb stairs to get to my third floor apartment i wish i could just jump you know mm-hmm. that's what judging is right yeah instead of being like, okay well let me understand it and the deeper i understand it you know the second as a society we learn to understand gravity we we built planes mm. and now we fly and now we cross oceans you know, that didn't come from ignoring gravity. That came from taking a deep dive and understanding it and learning how to work with it. Mm. You know, so it's the same thing with these other things that are often, you know, counter counterintuitive to what we think we want to accomplish. Mm. Understand capitalism, understand the nature of superficiality, understand what social media is doing to us, you know, and instead of judging it, look at it and figure out how you can make it so you can fly as well. Mm. Yeah, well said. It's uh, it's so interesting, you know, when we take responsibility for ourselves rather than looking for somebody else or to blame other people, how much easier it just gets that there's so much energy that goes out that gets projected to other people about what's wrong and what everybody's doing. And it's like, it's such a waste because mm-hmm. if we just work on ourselves and just, like you said, get curious and ask, yeah, why does that bother me? Why does that trigger me? And like, ask these questions. Yeah. I mean, things get so much clearer, but it's like, there's so much energy wasted on the outward. You know, it's interesting because even that concept, like you can't, like energy cannot be created or destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. So the energy is being (laughs) relocated to, you know, in in a fashion that doesn't really lead us anywhere. And I think it's just an, it's an, it's an interesting idea because it's a, you know, there is just definitely, uh, as my therapist says to me, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And I think, you know, I think about that when it comes to my energy. Do I want to be effective with my energy or do I just want to feel like I'm right? Do I want to validate that ego? Do I want to massage that ego and make it feel nice? And I think that's 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 been such an, a concept for me to, to really try to grasp as I enter, you know, new chapters great, of my life. That's a great concept. Yeah. Because nobody ever wins when you're right. Like, like they're not like, it's, it's not, it's not like a win. It's like, you're right. And somebody has to lose, you know, and it's 
somebody's unhappy, somebody's resentful. It's like, for what? Like, what are we trying to do? <laughs> yeah, there was an idea I saw. I, I was, there was a Reddit article yesterday in one of the groups that I, I procrastinated on. And it said, you know, what is what is something that you wish you learned earlier? And then one of the, the points somebody said was, um, it's never useful to be the smartest person in the room. So and, and, and it, yeah, and it started this kind of <laughs> yeah, conversation. So what do you mean? Like, yeah, like it's, it's it's never in your benefit to be the smartest person in the room. Um, and gen- generally, that's us trying to make sure the room knows we're the smartest. Oh yeah, it's so you true. Know? And I think about a lot of that with my father because my father, you know, at the end of the day, like you, there's as an so there's no artist in my family. So oftentimes when I create art, you know, people are like, oh, who in your family? gave you the artistic bone i was like i don't know and then i know you know cognitive strength you know that's that's much more genetic as well like you know iq is genetic um and my sisters are both academically strong i was academically strong as well and you know i think about that when it comes to my parents um but i was like okay well you know my mom's clever very clever you know she as a mom she's clever you know and she 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 doesn't work so i don't know you know she could have been a chemical engineer or not um, and my dad had a master's degree but he, he came to canada and drove a cab you know they didn't accept his education when he came here hmm. and i was like i kept thinking like is he smart and then i realized he's he's brilliant because he doesn't speak like he's just quiet like he'll be in a room full of people talking and he doesn't speak you know and he's got some con and i've you know i've grown up with him so i know he's got controversial opinions he's got all this type of stuff but also it's like he doesn't speak, but I grew up in a house where like all he was watching was either the news or documentaries, you know, and whenever he, he is, it's funny. He uses my, he uses my success as an author. Like he uses it in a way like, oh, you have access to the bookstores. Like they know you, you know? So he thinks that I mean, like I can walk into the bookstore and just like take books. <laughs> So it's like, as if I can walk into Barnes and Noble and just be like, you know, I'm humble the poet. I'm going to take all these seven books with me. But because um, in Canada, I have a deeper relationship with 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 the bookstore, um, uh, which is Indigo. And he's like, just get me all of these books. And they're always books on economy and books on economics. So that's what he studied in school. But it's just interesting. Like he just he absorbs it all. But, you know, I've never seen him in a room talk about it. And I think that might be a sign of of, of his brilliance. Well, you talk about that in your book too, towards the end about listening mm-hmm. and just how, how important it is yeah. and how you were working through things sometimes where you're not really listening, but you like want to get your idea out there and, you know, without, and I think we all do that, you know, yeah. where we want to say something, we don't fully listen or like, you know, take in the information and it's so beautiful when you do sit with somebody that you can tell is listening. It's not like, oh yeah, well next to the next thing or next thing. You're like, fuck off! Like you didn't even listen to what I said. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's so important, and it, it it hit me because having a podcast has allowed me to do exactly what you're saying, and that is like, just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. And it's just so important. And, yeah. you know, I really, I really love that because it's such a lesson because everybody just wants to speak, 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 speak. Uh, and you miss so much when you don't allow that person to get their ideas, especially if they're not one that's like overly chatty. You just, and it's like when they do speak, you really want to listen and like yeah. kind of like ponder on it a little bit. Right. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. My the oldest friend I have, um, my friend Chris, and I've known him since we were four. Um, he's he's a really good listener. Um, and again, there could be something there where he just doesn't ever want to share. But he's a, an amazing, and he and he's such a great listener. Where it's like he'll ask you a question or two, and then you'll answer, and then you'll be like, "Yeah, hey, so what's up with you?" And you're like, "No, no, 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 we didn't finish." He goes, there was, there was a few more things I needed to ask you. Like you didn't finish answering all of these. And then he starts to pick up on the parts that you didn't want to talk about. You know, so he's reading, he reads between the lines very, very well. Um, yeah. I remember I used to date a girl who at the time I didn't appreciate it as much because I actually found it annoying. She would pick a random topic, you know, she would just be like, Hey, Lance, um, you know, tell me about SpaceX. And you're like, what? <laughs> what what do you why are you asking me about you know she would do and she would do that to me daily she would pick random topics and just demand i tell her about them you know um looking back now i appreciate it a little bit more because she just wanted to hear stuff you know i think her questioning could have been a little bit more specific but yeah she would literally just she would pick films i had never seen she'd pick topics i'd never heard of songs i never heard she would just say just tell me about these and you know since then meeting so many other you know people who just are only talking about themselves they're making everything about themselves i appreciated that she made it about a topic mm. and uh you know and, and and i've since had conversations with her and it's been you know they, they have been a lot more interesting but yeah there is this idea of listening and i think it's really interesting that you brought up podcasts because podcasts are conversations for an audience and uh having you know podcasts with someone like you where we've we've had brief conversations on the phone so there's a level of rapport but i've had conversations with people who have no idea who i am and are doing it because somebody else made made a connection and you can sense the who the fuck are you in their questionings um then you have people who have been waiting to get me on their show and then there's a different level of enthusiasm um and then i have my friends like I, when i went on jay shetty's podcast and it's a you know it's a different type of it's a it's a different you know what i realized there very quickly was um i assumed having a friend on the other side of the conversation was going to make it kind of a softball experience what i didn't think about was he viewed having a friend on the other side of the conversation as, Oh, I don't have to tiptoe around anything today. Uh, Cause he's, you know, he's, he's been interviewing a lot of celebrities and you know, what you learn is celebrities, they pre-screen questions. They, they have five people in the room, you know, you mistakenly asked the wrong question, say the wrong thing. They, they could even potentially walk out like that stuff like that happens. And then you also have to run the risk of having a, a great conversation with them and then getting a call the next day saying, Hey, remember at this point, cut that out, cut that out, cut that out, cut that out. So what I didn't realize was he looked at it as like, Oh, this is my, this is my friend. And we have conversations like this all the time. Okay. We're going to make this, this we're going to, we're going to go really deep with this. This is going to be the exact opposite of a softball thing. Cause I know what he's capable of. Um, and, um, I think they're all just really interesting styles of questions. So some of it's like listening in real time. Some of it, I think what Jay did was he's been listening to me for years and used that to create a conversation for an audience, you know, and then me getting messages of, 
you know, the way people speak about that conversation because they're like, he sounds different in that conversation. I'm like, yeah, because we're friends. But then, as I said, there's also having those conversations with people where in real time, you're, you're establishing that deeper core <clears throat> and listening is the essential part of that. Mm-hmm. And there's different reasons why we can't listen. And I think for, for, for men specifically, one of the real reasons that we struggle with listening is because sometimes what we hear is triggering uncomfortable feelings. And we have not been necessarily encouraged or provided with the tools to address those other than shut it down. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying stuff that makes me feel all, how do I shut you up? You're telling me about a problem you have. Let me, let's find a solution. And, um, I, I have a friend that called yesterday, a friend that called me yesterday. He's an artist and he goes, can I just vent to you about artist stuff? You know, and the story was about somebody hiring him for something. Um, you know, he makes music. They hired him to, to make them some music for a fashion show. And, um, they can't articulate what they want. He goes ahead based off their, what they want, like what he thinks they want and pre- presents them with something. And by the time it's all said and done, they wanted next to nothing creative. They just literally wanted him to mix like three songs together, like easy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and that frustrated him. But he's like, listen, I don't, and I, and I was about to give tips. Like, you know, maybe in the contract, put, uh, we can only do three revisions, you know, maybe put in the contract, get the money up front so you don't have to deal with this stuff. He's like, no, 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 no. I don't need tips. I just want to get it out. I just want to speak to another artist and get it out of my system as to, to what's bothering me. Um, and learning that, like, do you want comfort or do you want solutions when somebody comes to vent to you? I'm learning that too. Like, do you want to just be comforted right now or do you want some pragmatic solutions? Because I don't think I reach out to people for comfort. I think I, I want solutions every single time. I vent anything and I want very pragmatic solutions. Uh, and I'm realizing not everybody wants that. Some people just want to be seen. Some people just want to be heard and how you make somebody feel determines the quality of your relationship with them. Mm. So true, man. So much there. I want to kind of just circle back cause I want to about the talking on Jay Shetty and going, doing it in person like that, just in general, like that's, that's the magic as well of like being in person of like that just the energetically itself and like being mm-hmm. able to have a conversation when someone's in front of you is just so powerful. Yeah. As much as I love doing virtual cause it allows us, it's like, there's only so much time to like really, you know what I mean? And it's, I find it, it's a challenge, but it's also so beautiful to be able to like, you know, dive into somebody's story and then like have them share it in like a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's something so special about being in a room with somebody and just like, just having that sort of in-person energy. And, just and there's a trade off both ways. Yeah. I realize because totally. I've, I've been in conversations with people around starting a podcast and I was like, yeah, I want to do some in-person interviews. Like then you'll never get anybody, you know? True. And it's a lot easier for anybody you know, all the way up to Obama to say, okay, I just got to sign in front of my computer for 30 minutes. That's a lot easier than being show up in the city and then be at this location in this city, camera ready, all of this, these different things. So, you know, there's a pragmatic trade-off that goes both ways that I'm learning and understanding. Um, but yeah, I do think about the in-person a lot because there's so many more things happening, Yeah, you know, and it's the, you know, 
am I wearing pants? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just <laughs> anything from that capacity. But I think, yeah, I think I'm realizing there's a, yeah, there's a trade-off for the convenience and there's a trade-off for both. But I think it's a good, I think there is a beauty, you know, and I don't know how, how far back you can remember in the world of like chat groups and your first online friend and how like oh man potentially strange Wild. it was when you guys actually saw <laughs> each other in person yeah and i think what i realized was over the pandemic so i was living in toronto and then i was moving to la right after the pandemic i had established maybe half a dozen friendships off of um uh community not community uh community yeah the, the chat the chat app yeah right yeah and not realizing when I saw those people for the first time that it was the first time. Mm. It didn't feel like a first time encounter. Yeah. You know, because, uh, you know, I was like, oh, how are you doing? You know, and it's like, great to finally meet you. Like, oh, man, we've been chatting. Yeah, it's so weird. Almost daily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And vice versa, even with your friends. Like, it's, it's you know, sometimes, you know, as I said, like this friend Chris, like he lives in Germany now. Like, I... It's, it's, I saw him during the pandemic in Toronto and then, yeah, now it's just calls, audio calls, FaceTimes or whatever. And it's like, I don't know. I think that's, I think there is a beauty to that. Like there is opportunities for connection, but yeah, you do want these deeper connections on a, on a deeper level. And I think there's a lot of that. Um, and I think about that even now too, like getting a PlayStation and being like, you know, putting on headphones and chatting with my friends while we play FIFA, like that's, that's still better than nothing. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and there is a beauty to being able to have friends all over the planet. So anytime zone, someone's up, someone's awake. Um, yeah. And, you know, I do most of my work is still happening on Zoom, including the work I do in L.A. You know, yeah. people who are 20 minutes away are still having Zoom calls with me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's wild when you meet somebody. And you're like, wow, you're a lot bigger than I thought, or a lot taller. Yeah, yeah, there's that, there's that. You're like, shit, I thought you were short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, generally, as long as people are surprised that you were taller than they thought, it's always better, yeah. You um, you talk about that trip with Wim Hof, and Aubrey talks about it too quite a bit. And I I wasn't even going to get into this, but since it's kind of popped up, I was, I kind of want to ask you about Wim Hof. Like what's your relationship with him actually being able to go into the cold with him and have those brothers around you? Like what, how did that change you? Like what, what, just cause that guy's message is just so powerful in the world with his cold plunge and doing, you know, challenging shit. Yeah. Something that Aubrey, so I got invited to that trip by Lewis Howes who at that point was somebody I saw once every six months. Mm. Um, and I'd been on his show, but we had a friendship before the show. Mm. Um, and we would, yeah, we would meet up at like a restaurant and generally it was our relationship was grounded on uh, our, our women problems. That's kind of what it was. You know, I, I look at it. I, I feel like those are the seasons of our friendships, who he was dating when I first met him what different relationships he's been in and, you know, seeing his enthusiasm to break up, you know, watching all that stuff and, and vice versa. And yeah, you know, and, and I wasn't living in LA at the time. I was just visiting a lot. And then to get a message from him saying, Hey, do you want to come to Poland uh, to do Wim Hof with a bunch of influencers? And, you know, that sentence, not even feeling like, like a complete sentence at the time. <laughs> 
Like, what's Wim Hof? Like, W-I-M-H-O-F? What the hell is that? You know, thinking autocorrect got in the way. And, you know, with a bunch of influencers. That, that was the word. It wasn't a bunch of men. And it wasn't a bunch of brothers. It wasn't, like, it was a bunch of influencers. So I Google Wim Hof, and I see that it's, it's, it's a dude that sits in the ice. And I was like, okay, that's a hell no. That's a complete no. <laughs> and when I'm thinking influencers, I'm literally thinking, like, you know, your TikTokers, your attractive girls, your your selfie takers, all of that. And I was like, none of this sounds like an exciting journey. None of this sounds cool or anything like that. Um, and he's like, look, I'll, I'll send you an email with all the details tomorrow. So I was asking a bunch of questions, obviously. And it was, I think, a week turnaround. So it's like, you're booking a last minute flight to Poland. You know, it's going to be expensive. Um, <clears throat> so there wasn't a lot of notice. And then when he sent the email, that's when he listed out everybody. And then I realized it was all men and it was all influential men. So it wasn't influencers. Uh, it was retired football players. It was, uh, you know, and, and Aubrey Marcus was the only name on that list who I had even previously met other than Lewis. I didn't know anybody else on that list. Um, and at that time, Aubrey had just been on the podcast. Um, and the time I had gone on this podcast, we were supposed to do dinner that night and something came up and we couldn't. So me and him didn't have a relationship other than, me being on the show. Um, so I said, yes. And then what I, what I realized very quickly, and Aubrey had said this outside of this experience, but he goes, you should always judge your spiritual teachers by how loud they laugh. Yes. And that's something that hit me because I grew up with my parents having a lot of spiritual teachers and they were always just like super serious. Like my shit don't stink. Take me completely serious. And then you meet Wim Hof, you know, who, who I can only describe as an off season mall Santa. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. what, what are these, what do those guys do when it's not so Christmas? Good. You know what I mean? Like that's who Wim Hof is. He's just this guy who is absolutely bonkers. He's more bonkers than you think. And, you know, he came in, he's like, Hey guys, what's up? And we're like, you know, Hey, how you doing? He's like, okay, what time do you guys want to wake up? And you're like, uh, you know, we just flew here from LA. Time difference is gonna suck. <laughs> can we can we say 10? Okay, I'll be here 1045. You know, and then they're just casual. Yeah. And then he goes, Do you guys want a drink? I'll teach you how to get rid of a hangover too. We're like, what? Like, this is like not what I was thinking the spiritual journey was gonna be. Um, and he what what you realize is he he is somebody that and and he and he has a his son is kind of like the responsible adult of this of this Wim Hof movement. So this Wim Hof, the the individual who developed a breathing technique and 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 developed a relationship with the ice and developed a relationship with his body that is just you know superhuman um, and accessible to everybody and requires nothing, requires no secrets, requires no money, requires nothing. And then there's his son who's helping him turn it into a movement. Um, that both allows him to pay his bills, but also makes it accessible as possible to people. And then, so what happened over those four days is me and these 13 other gentlemen, we deeply bonded. We bonded over, um, our fears of getting into the ice, jumping into jumping off waterfalls, walking through, walking through the hills in our, in our shorts and only our shorts. Um, and that, that continually opened up more vulnerability, and it was it was beautiful because there was still 
male masculine energy. There's still a lot of comp- competition happening. There's still a lot of everybody's doing it, so I got to do it type energy. Yeah. But there was also, you know, sitting around circles and just crying and just hugging and just doing all of that. Um, and then Wim, I think those experiences, and Wim doesn't do private stuff. He really, you know, unless you're Beyonce, you're not getting a private session to Wim Hof. Um, and then he, I guess, he started joining joining in on these vulnerability things. And um, I think it reconnected him with his son on a deeper level. You know, I think they had a, there was, I guess, I didn't know, but there was, there was time that they weren't together. And um, at one point, you know, there was a, we're in the middle of, we're in the middle of this mountain in Poland. And what you had to do, if you wanted any reception to call your family or have anything, you had to climb to the top of this hill. You know, it's like a five minute hike. You have to climb to the hill Unreal. To, get your, to get your phone to work. Um, and I remember being up there in late, late, late at night. And again, you're in the middle of nowhere. And I remember he drove by because his, where he was sleeping was a little bit, it was like a 10 minute drive from where we were sleeping. And he got out and he gave me a hug and he said, thank you. He goes, you guys helped me a lot. And I was like, we helped you. And then we realized that like it, that experience and I learned later on from the from the guys because I wasn't in the room when whatever happened happened but him and his son had kind of deepened their relationship um and I, there was just a beauty to that so I think that experience was really there and I think what he taught me was like look you know he's continuing to say trust your body trust your body and his his son has established the Wim Hof kind of the the institute and 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 really legitimizing got medical professionals involved and everything and, you know, going to those later on, like going to one in Utah and, and meeting the doctors there, like, you're like, oh, wow, like your education and your methods are way clearer than Wim's, you know, like Wim says go on the ice and you're like, well, what if my, if I get hypothermia or if I like it's frostbite, so just be like, trust yourself, you know, and then, meanwhile, you speak to one of the doctors that work for him and then they'll break it down. Like, oh no, like, this is what we'll look for. These are the signs. You don't need to be in the ice for more than two minutes. And I'll be like, what? We were, we did. 10 minutes for Wim. She's like, yeah, Wim's crazy. Don't, don't do that. You know? And it was just, it was more of a fun bonding session. But I think what I realized was he, he's an individual on his journey and did such a great job doing it. And it was the first time I met somebody who had useful answers to, to, to impacting your life in a positive way. You know, what going in the ice does is it recalibrates your fight or flight and it builds a level of resilience that you didn't know existed. And it doesn't require anything other than just sitting in the ice. You don't have to know how to do anything. You just sit in there. Your mind is screaming, we're going to die. And you're just like, okay, well, we're, we're going to stay here and just see what happens. And then you, your mind slowly calms down. Your body slowly figures itself out. You get used to the cold and then you get out. And then all of a sudden, like you're just, your bar of stress is significantly higher and things that would normally cause a panic attack don't. <laughs> Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, and you're like, wow, this is so simple. And then also it makes you breathe. And then, you know, he's like, the reason we have problems is we breathe too shallow. And he's just like, breathe, motherfucker, breathe. Mm. And like, this is all he's teaching us. He's teaching us to breathe and he's teaching us to be cold. And it's just revealing that living in a life of comfort and convenience is killing our resilience. And making us more fragile and making it hard for us to deal with any challenges. And it's going to eventually stunt our evolution as a species. And it was that. But at the same time, it was also like, hey, let's go into the city. And we went out to a bar. 
you know, and I'm watching this guy drink three hot chocolates and like, you know, like it's nothing. And just like, you know, he, you know, he's fun. He knows he how to be human too. He's got that spiritual aspect, but he's a human being. He knows how to be a normal yeah. human. I, I, I would never call him a normal human. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I think what I would say is because I saw he, he has a young son and his son yeah. was probably three years old at the time. I, I honestly don't think his son realized that was his father. I think he viewed him as his best friend. I feel like Wim Hof is a three-year-old in a, you know, 67-year-old's body. And, you know, and, and his older son was explaining that. He goes, listen, man, like, this guy is cool. But, like, this guy was doing, when I was, he was picking him, picking me up from school, he would be doing handstands in the parking lot <laughs> waiting for me to arrive. And he's like, that was so embarrassing. He, every other parent's looking at him, picking, doing handstands, walking across the parking lot. He's just a, a free child. Mm -hmm. And there's just a beauty to that when it came to his life. And I think, you know, and then that bonded me with those guys forever. We have, we have a chat group, um, you know, and there's just messages in there and, and they're generally, you know, somebody doing something cold or, or somebody having a child or, you know, something like that. And, and I built really great relationships and some of those guys have gone into business together and some of them are expanding into bringing more cold plunges or, or cold baths to, to, to the States. Um, and it's beautiful. And, uh, yeah. And I, what I, and I think the big lesson I learned from that too, is like, you want to bond with people. Don't go to Hawaii and have fun, suffer, suffer yeah. with each other, get vulnerable with each other, get scared with each other. You guys will bond significantly quicker than you'll ever bond at a guy's trip where we all, we just get wasted and party. Totally. Yeah, it reminds me to like those old days of playing sports and going to battle together or even mm -hmm. sitting mm -hmm. with people in ayahuasca. Mm. You know, I got to sit with Aubrey and Vaya in, in doing a ceremony in Costa Rica a couple of years ago. And we did this thing where we, it was called, we had to like puke up. We had to drink this tea and like to the point where we were so bloated that we had to puke and everybody's puking together. Mm. And there's something, there's something magical about puking with people. Like being in this, like, this, like weird energy, man. But there's like a bonding that goes on there. You know, yeah. it's like sitting in the, sitting in that darkness, you know, and just feeling like we did it. And and, and being seen. Yeah. Like this person saw me be ugly. This person saw me be vulnerable. Yeah. And, and they still want to be around me. You know, it's not yeah. us partying and be like, Hey, we should get together. And then, you know, you just party with somebody for a weekend and you guys never connect again. Yeah, but it's having these these deeper moments. I think, you know, that's that's the recipe for a meaningful relationship. Love it, man. What would you like to leave everybody with that may be struggling right now? You know, maybe going through some adversity, maybe lacking that feeling of wholeness in their life of love. What is one piece of advice you'd like to leave them with today? Just just realize that all the things that we're all struggling with, you know, they are partially a result of the society we live in and um, the wiring that we have. You know, we're not designed to be happy. We're designed to eat, sleep and reproduce. And um, so go easy on yourself. There's no, you know, there's no, there's, there's nobody doing it better than you. There really isn't. And, you know, if you feel FOMO and you feel like, you know, 
you're not living up to stuff because you're probably on social media and it's designed to do that, you know, and if you feel like you're not being productive enough, it's because we live in a society that wants you to be endlessly productive and they want you to be a robot and not a living creature. And if feeling left out scares you, it's because we're humans and um, keeping our village happy was the survival method, you know, and and that software still exists in us. And that was software that we had for 40,000 years before, you know, we came to modern society and that no longer was relevant. That's not going to go away. Just be easy on yourself. Like it, it's, these are all the reasons we have these issues and they're not going to, to go away. You know, we still have ancient parts of our body that, you know, we don't even, you know, whether it's our appendix or something like that, that doesn't serve a purpose anymore. Like they're here and then, and, and, and be easy on yourself because there's nothing that comes from being hard on yourself. You know, as, as, as self-employed individuals know, we have the worst boss ever. <laughs> But being mean to ourselves doesn't make us work harder, you know, and prioritize your self-respect over your self-esteem. You know, we are now in a world where there's metrics between how many people know that you exist, how many people like your photos, how many people are commenting. This stuff is still based on an algorithm, you know, what you're really doing, you know, what you're really being rewarded for is how much you're keeping people on a platform. It's not your self-worth or your self-value. You as a human being don't have worth or value. You can't measure a human being in enoughness or worthiness. Enoughness, save enoughness for your gas tank. You know, do I have enough gas to get there? Yes. Am I enough of a person? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. You know, there isn't a wholeness that's required. You are a whole person as you are, even with those feelings of incompleteness. You know, there is no enoughness. I'm not going to tell you you're enough or you're worthy because that's not how you measure somebody, you know, and it's just really important to understand that these things you know, that's why it feels so discombobulating because these things just don't make sense. And if we let them go, um, and if you really want to take a deeper journey on this, realize the stuff that you hate still relates to the stuff that you love. You know, hearing if somebody has your ex ex's name and you hear their name and it triggers you and you, you like that person a little bit less, it's no different than somebody having your mentor's name and you liking them a little bit more. Our biases go both ways. You have to abandon your preferences of love or like if you want to abandon your preferences of hate and trauma, you know, and uh, detachment isn't letting things go. It's just creating distance because we can't let things go, you know, um, and and let's abandon ideas of overcoming fears and overcoming shortcomings and just and, and create relationships of distance, create relationships of progress over perfection. And, and baby steps add up in the right way. Boom. Thank you, brother. That was, that was so far. So how to be loved available everywhere, everywhere you get books, right? It's online, yes. Amazon, everywhere. And everywhere. follow you on Instagram as well. Humble yeah, the Poet. At Humble the Poet. Yep. And if you can't find the book, you can check uh, humblethepoet.com slash love. Dude, thank you so much, man. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having me, man. All right. Thanks, everybody.